0: Hey, welcome to The Midweeks. We're in chapter four of Second Kings, and this is in a chapter where there's multiple miracles performed by Elisha. And I was just reminding myself, because this miracle collection reminds us of a period in Elijah's life too. That would be um, chapter 17 of First Kings, when Elijah is hiding out from Ahab, and he goes to a widow's house and he says that the jar of oil and food won't run out during the famine and then he also raises her son who got really sick and so you're going to hear echoes of elijah in the ministry of elisha and remember elisha has asked for the the double portion of elijah and so this is part of how they're telling the story is that they want these echoes of the previous ministry to say god has answered elisha's prayer by helping him to do what Elijah did and more so. So you're gonna be hearing these similar themes. You're also gonna hear uh, these themes of just Elisha caring for the widow and the poor. And there's a couple of these are about women and their uh, vulnerability and loss and God meeting them uh, being the, the protector of the widow. And this is how God sees himself, as somebody who cares for the vulnerable. And we're going to see him doing that through the supernatural power of his prophet in this story. So without further ado, chapter 4. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Okay, so remember, Elisha has taken over as the head prophet, the father of the prophets, and they would have dwelt together as a band, and apparently some of them had wives and families. And um, one of the prophets died and left behind a woman in debt, and she's terrified that someone is going to come and take the children as slaves, which, again, gives you an idea of where Israel is at. They're the kind of culture where... Uh, A prophet's widow could rightfully fear to have her children taken from her instead of having the community rally around to pay the debt. She needs a supernatural breakthrough. Verse 2, And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour in all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So he gives her this mission to collect empty vessels. And this is just reminding me, later on in the book, we're going to hear about a time where a king was like smashing arrows. Uh, for victory for military victory and Elisha says smash these arrows on the ground and then the king only does it like three times and Elisha is really mad that he didn't do it more because then he only got three victories and so there's something about uh, faith where God kind of wants you to go all in and so he says to her don't just grab like one or two jars he says, go get as many as you can not too few All right, so she went from him and shut the door beside herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came to the man of God and said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. And so there's this great miracle, a multiplication of the oil she already had. Um, Her obedience in getting the vessels multiplied her wealth. She was able to make herself financially stable through this. So God is taking care of the widow. Elisha is taking care of the widow. The widow's faith is displayed through her obedience. And because of that, her family is rescued. What a great kindness. I love this story. Okay, verse 8. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go there all right so elisha we're given this impression that he's busy moving about so he's busy about the business of the kingdom and shunem is near where his path usually leads and so we're going to meet another woman of faith she recognizes that uh, elisha is a man of god so she sees god's work in his life and through him and she wants to show him hospitality and use the wealth they have interesting that both of these stories are about wealth The poor widow and now a wealthy woman and she wants to use her uh, wealth for hospitality to a man of God and so she has this idea of how to bless him and remember in the ancient near eastern times roofs were flat they didn't have peak roof like we do in Canada to let the rain and the snow fall off they had flat roofs so essentially they're just saying let's build another room on top of our flat roof and he can have some private space Verse 11, one day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there so he could get out of the sun, had his own bed. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him. Okay, so I don't know if we've met Gehazi yet. Gehazi is the the main servant, the right hand man of uh, Elisha, and he's going to actually appear more than once uh, sometimes doing good sometimes doing bad but he's now a side character he's an npc in this story and we get to know him verse 13 and he he said to him say now to her see we have you have taken all this trouble for us what is to be done for you would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army and she answered i dwell among my own people and so here is elijah kind of (laughs) trying to relate to her He is a big deal, Um, and so he has access to kings and army commanders. He's super bold, and so he doesn't mind going and telling them something. So he offers her some kind of political benefit. He knows that she's already wealthy and doesn't need that, but he's just like, is there anything like anybody giving you any trouble? Her answer is very humble. I dwell among my own people. So she says, I don't get involved with matters of state and big political stuff. Verse 14, he said, what then is to be done for her? So I don't know if she's walked out at this point, but now the conversation goes back to just Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old, so they're trying to think of a way to bless her. And here comes, one of, for me, one of the most emotional little scenes in all of the Bible. Uh, Verse 15, he said, call her, so you know she's gone, and call her back. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And so Elisha is sounding just like the angels that came to Abraham and told the same story about this time Sarah will uh, have a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. And it's just so amazing. Like this, these stories are written so well and so beautifully. It doesn't say, you know, she had already resigned herself to being childless and wrecked but it was a deep pain in her life that she carried every day she knows that Elisha is a prophet he prophesies to her that she's going to have a son and it hits her right in her pain so squarely that she can't believe it don't lie to your servant so don't deceive me just an amazing human response and of course Um, Similarly, to how Sarah laughed, and God's like, Is that too hard for me? Why are you laughing? Similarly, this response that doesn't sound like faith because it's touching on such a deep desire, God still does it. You know, you could say, Well, she didn't believe, she shouldn't get it. But no, she desired it so deeply that it was too painful to believe it could happen when she heard the prophecy. But God decided to do it anyways, and so she does bear this child beautiful i just oh, beautiful verse 18 when the child had grown he went out one day to his father among the reapers and he said to his father oh my head my head and the father said to the servant carrying to his mother so very likely he got some kind of heat stroke but we don't know verse 20 when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother the child sat on her lap till noon and then he died just imagine how she felt and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. So like that little scene, that little room that she built for Elisha. Um, this is now where the son that Elisha prophesied is lying in this room. And so you might even see all of her emotions like, would it have been better not to build a room? Would it have been better not to welcome into my life? Why would he do this? And then God take it away. Many deep questions, questions mothers have. Why would God let this happen? Just deep questions. So she puts the child in the place where she got the prophecies. The child would come when she was standing at the doorway of the room of the man of God. 22. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, All is well. So again, she's just on mission here. She doesn't want to talk about it. She kind of keeps her old husband, who's maybe a little bit too happy, to stay in the dark. She keeps him in the dark. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me until I tell you. So she just wants to go talk to Elisha, which again seems so natural that a woman of means and a woman of ability would be like, the plan is I'm going to talk to Elisha and everyone else get out of my way. Verse 25. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Agassi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. So here's Elisha. He recognizes her and he cares. He says, Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. So Gehazi goes and she lies to him because she's determined. I'm talking to Elisha. I don't want to talk to a servant. Verse 27, when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me. Which is an interesting statement about how a prophet relates to the Lord. Sometimes he feels like God's talking to him, sometimes he knows God is hiding things. And we as people reading the Bible can be like that too. God is in the business of information control information management and the narrators are in the business of information management and I think even last time I talked about how it felt like we didn't get quite enough information about what happened with that sacrifice of the son of the king and why that caused there to be great wrath and that was probably on purpose that we were kept in the dark there and now we're in the know about what happened with the child dying but Elisha is not in the know and recognizes that as coming from the Lord and so he knows he's in this submitted position this this he's still just a human even though he's a tremendous miracle working prophet. Verse 28 then she said did I ask my Lord for a son did I not say do not deceive me so she's in bitter distress here and he said to Gehazi tie up your garment take my staff in your hand and go if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Then he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him the child is not awakened. Okay, so, um, so again, interesting. Elisha attempts to perform a restorative miracle through his staff which is often a symbol of authority or power but it doesn't work and so again we're learning here about persistence and seeking God. God is not a machine but a person and so Elisha is going to persist with the Lord. Verse 32 the same way that the woman persisted and said like I'm not talking to anyone about Elisha. Elisha is going to persist with the Lord saying okay I'm going to keep trying here. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on his bed. And he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting mouth on his mouth and eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once and back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon the child. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, "Call this Shunammite." And so he called her, and when he came to him, when she came to him, he said, "Pick up your son." Then she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Okay, what an amazing story, and so full of like twists and turns. The child became warm but didn't become alive. And so he went and walked around the house one more time, and then he went and stretched himself out again and then there were these seven sneezes like what's up with that and so there's some kind of thing going on here but in the midst of the curiosity you just get the impression again of the persistence in prayer even for a prophet and the sense of continuing to seek the lord even when there's confusion The woman's confused. Elisha's confused. Why didn't the healing happen with the staff? Or there's potential for confusion at least. Gehazi might be confused. But persisting in prayer in the midst of confusion is what brought the woman back. And she doesn't even say anything when the child comes back. Again, just probably being so overcome, she just picks up her son and takes him. And that ends the story, but not the chapter. So we have another miracle to do. Verse 38. More in fact, uh, Elisha came again to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set a large pot of and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And one of them went out into the field to gather herbs or herbs, and found a wild vine and gathered it up into his lap, uh, his lap full of wild gourds, and came and cut them into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating the stew, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. Which I think they means it's poison. And they could not eat it. And he said, Then bring flour. And he threw the flour into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So there's a famine which drives them to eat. Just eating whatever they find, which includes putting something poisonous into their food. And there needs to be a miracle to make the food not poisonous again. Now, in my mind, I'm reading this thing. And there seems to be between these three healings or these three miracles, the oil, the child, and the gourds. Like, remember the Elijah story from 17 was it was a famine which drove Elijah to the widow where they were going to get a miracle of food provision. And that's where the child dies and Elijah has to bring back to life but you have these three dynamics all in this chapter famine a widow and a child coming back from death that was one event for Elijah but is three different events for Elisha and then we're gonna finish it off with one more a man came from Baal Shalisha bringing the man of God bread Of the first fruits, 20 loaves of bread, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Excuse me. Which is, of course, a creative miracle for the feeding of people in the midst of this famine and this is one of the stories of Elisha which has just the clearest echo in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus does the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 he does the same thing where he takes a small amount of food and multiplies it so that the entire group of people he's trying to feed are fed but you know where Elisha gets praise for How many people were here? 20 loaves. And there were 100 men. So Jesus is feeding uh, 50 times as many men, plus the women and children in the crowd. Or 40 times as many men, plus the women and children in the crowd. So just to give context, you know, Elisha was considered a great, powerful prophet for feeding 100 with 20 loaves. And Jesus knocked it out of the park with his feeding creative miracles just really establishing him as the greatest creative miracle working prophet of all time and that brings us to the end of the chapter so i hope you're blessed i think the encouragement for us is that we ought to continue to have uh, faith in god Um, all these people had trials that God allowed in their life, whether it was the death or the debt or the famine, and having the presence of God with them through the person of Elisha meant that God met them in the midst of their trial, but didn't necessarily prevent them from going to trial. So we must not see the trials we go through as being abandoned by God. Uh, we can feel that way, and God can even still love us and work with us when we feel that way, like He did with the Shunammite uh, woman. But to keep seeking the Lord and seeing what he does and to persevere in seeking the Lord and seeing what he does. This is a great lesson for us in this. And uh, I hope you are blessed.